Are you an adventurer looking to take your hunt to the next level? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the East Meets West Hunt podcast presented by Spartan Forge. On today's episode, I am joined by the CEO of the National Deer Association, Nick Pinizzato. Nick lives in Pennsylvania and has an extensive background in policy and protecting our hunting heritage. We discuss NDA's mission, deer hunting educational resources, deer hunter numbers, biggest threats to deer hunting in 2022, why managing for age class is beneficial, and much more. 100% born in the Appalachian Mountains and made in the USA, Timber Ninja Outdoors provides a range of mobile hunting options to accommodate diverse hunting preferences. Whether you prioritize comfort, lightweight design, or versatility, their two-panel and single-panel saddles collection has something for everyone. The Black Belt Nano is the lightest single-panel saddle available on the market, weighing in under a pound. The saddle is designed with the minimalist hunter in mind, focusing on lightweight functionality and breathability. One notable feature is the patent-pending magnetic stick clip system on the side, which allows for convenient transportation of sticks up the tree, as well as a built-in platform holder. The Nano Saddle can be folded up to the size of a Nalgene bottle, enabling easy portability. With a four-way stretch material on the back for a comfortable fit, as well as strategically placed padding for hip pinch relief, you can use code EASTMEETSWEST to get free shipping on any Timber Ninja order. If you try it out and don't like it, send it back within 30 days for a full refund. Learn more at TimberNinjaOutdoors.com and sign up for their email newsletter for exclusive discounts and product drops. When it comes to optics, I get the same question over and over again. What are the best all-around binoculars? Well, it's tough to find something that works in every condition great, but after using a pair of Maven B1.2 10x42s, I think I found them. They feature an 8x or a 10x option, superior low light performance, tack sharp edge to edge clarity, a generous depth of field, and a silky focus mechanism. All of Maven Optics have a lifetime no fault warranty and hail from the great state of Wyoming. I've been using Maven Optics since I bought my first pair in 2017, and I think you should test them out for yourself. Head over to mavenbuilt.com and use the code EASTMEETSWEST-GIFT for a free gift with any full price optics order. For all of those that want a truck bed cover for work or play, Diamondback makes the top of the line heavy duty covers that help you do more with your truck. They're perfect for the truck owning, avid sportsmen, outdoor enthusiasts, and weekend project warriors. I'm currently using the HD cover that can is capable of holding up to 1,600 pounds on the top. And then I have the Yakima overhaul HD bars on top so I can put my rooftop tent on it. When I'm not using my rooftop tent and able to use the trifold design of the Diamondback, I have the Crossbin 8 in there to organize all of my stuff in the back of my truck bed. Diamondback is made right here in Phillipsburg, Pennsylvania. If you want to check them out, head over to diamondbackcovers.com. If you've wanted that hunting camp tradition that we talk about, that experience, but you don't have a hunting camp of your own, you're welcome to come stay at my hunting camp up here in the Pennsylvania wilds called the Elk Crossing Getaway in the PA wilds. So if you go over to Airbnb, you can check out our three-bedroom, one-and-a-half-bath house that's right in the heart of Pennsylvania elk country. 
It's only minutes away for a bunch of public land to be able to hunt, hiking trails, outdoor recreation, fishing, all of those things there. The house is completely fully stocked with everything that you need to be able to, to spend a week hunting deer, taking your family up to see the elk, anything like that. So if you head over to Airbnb and search Elk Crossing Getaway in the PA Wilds, you'll find my listing there and you can rent out my house. You send us a message, an inquiry that you're interested in it and mention that you heard it on the podcast here, then we'll get you 10% off of your first day. As this podcast goes out, I'm still on my Montana elk hunt. Uh, it should be a couple of weeks into the hunt at this point, but uh, recording all this stuff ahead of time, as I have for the last few episodes, it is currently one o'clock in the morning, uh, two days here before I leave, and just trying to get everything done and get everything wrapped up so when I leave, I don't have to think about things, I can just focus on hunting. But with that being said, I really hope that uh, you enjoy this podcast with Nick. I think talking about some of these things that are less sexy when it comes to, to deer hunting and, and protecting deer is is incredibly important. And I wanted to be able to share this uh, podcast with Nick and some really interesting stuff in here as well uh, as far as their deer report, which I would really highly recommend everyone dives into NDA's deer report. It's free to be able to download off their website and uh definitely you know check that out so and as we start rolling in here we're going to start into getting some really white tail heavy content uh there's going to be a lot more of that where this comes from i guess uh coming forward with greg litzinger coming up on next week and then just kind of rolling through it for the rest of the fall so i hope everyone enjoys it and has a great rest of your week all right, we're live. Nick Pinizzato, welcome to the East Meets West Hunt podcast. It's uh, it's good to good to get to talk to you. Well, it's good to be back again. I'm a fan of the show as well, and so thank you. Yeah, no, definitely. The last time I was, uh, the roles were reversed, and I was on your your podcast uh, through the National Deer Association, uh, Coffee and Beer. Is that what it's called? Uh, we have two. Which yeah, one was Which one was two. I on then? You were on Coffee and Deer. Yeah, okay. And then uh, Brian Grossman hosts our Deer Season 365 podcast. And people might say, well, why would you have two podcasts? Well, they're actually quite different. Brian's is more focused uh, typically on the science of deer and sort of the academic part of it. And we are more focused on kind of the deer stories, the storytelling and, you know, the type of stuff that you're into. But, you know, Grossman being a big time hunter, he does, you know, he likes to creep into the hunting part of it sometimes too. So that's, that's a really good show. So yeah, we have two of them. Ah, I'm, I'm embarrassed to say, I didn't know about the second one. I've listened to the coffee and deer one that, that, uh, that you've been doing for a while there, but, um, I didn't know about that second one and, and I like to geek out on stuff. So I think that sounds like that might be a, a, a good one for me to check out. Yeah, it definitely is. Brian's a great host, and uh, his show I think is actually even high, is higher rated than Coffee and Deer. As much as you know, I have to just you know swallow my pride and admit <laughs> it. But so, Brian, if you're listening, tipping my cap to you, buddy. <laughs> so, for anyone that doesn't know, Nick is the president and C- CEO of the National Deer Association. And Nick, I'd like to for you to give a little bit of background on yourself, kind of how you got um, you know into this role here, and what I, I guess your whole background. Yeah, I appreciate that. And that's always a, you would think that would be an easy question to answer, but for me, that ends up 
being a difficult one. So yeah, uh, my path to, to, to being the CEO of the NDA. Um, so I'll just, I'll say a, a lot of passion, a little bit of luck, uh, but it's a good spot to be. My career, my entire career has been in conservation. And so for the first part of it, first 11 years of my career, actually maybe first 15 years of my career was more focused on water conservation, even though always being a lifetime avid deer hunter, uh, particularly archery hunting. I'm, I'm a native Pennsylvanian like yourself. So we have that in common. And you know, I think everybody deer hunts here. So yeah. <laughs> you get it honestly. And uh, then I went and got an opportunity to get more in the wildlife side of things. I was the CEO of Delta Waterfowl Foundation. So I moved from Pennsylvania to Bismarck, North Dakota. Those two places are not the same, <laughs> in case you were wondering. <laughs> and did the waterfowl thing for a while. Then I moved back to east um, uh, Midwest, I guess, to Columbus, Ohio, was the CEO of the Sportsman's Alliance fighting the anti-hunters. So that was kind of a cool gig for a while. And then when they started the National Deer Alliance, uh, this would have been, I guess, back in like 2014, I was the first and ended up being the only CEO of that group. And we were focused on deer, but deer policy. And the QDMA was still was still going at that, that time. And so we had QDMA focused on the types of things that NDA is doing now, the deer science, uh, you know, the branches, um, education, outreach, that type of thing. And the deer alliance focused on policy. So it was a good team. And then I think, as everybody knows, at this point, we merged here a couple years ago now and created the National Deer Association. And so that's my path. You know, I've got, uh, I think, I'm, as I look at it, like 25 years now or something like that in my career. It's flown really fast. But, uh, you know, working with deer on an everyday basis and the outstanding team of people I get to work with, talking with people like you, um, it's it's a – I don't take it for granted. Let's put it that way. Yeah. No, it, it's it's cool. You know, when, when I first, uh, you know, started talking with you a little bit on Instagram and then was on your podcast getting to, to know you a little bit and I, I didn't realize uh, your extensive past that you had in these other organizations. I knew about the Sportsman's Alliance and, and everything else, but how how did you – well, actually, first, I have to say I, I did a podcast with – uh, Brad Luttrell, um, from go wild. I don't know if you know Brad at all. Um, not too long ago, we were talking about some different organizations and we were talking about NDA and, and I realized even I missed this in the editing twice. I said national deer Alliance out of the, the three times that I said it and, and I caught it afterwards and I, I still kind of go back. I, I always, you know, screw up those names as I'm trying to, even though it's been a couple years that the, the merges happened, getting those, those names correct. <laughs> But um, that happens. And yeah, I mean, that's that's I mean, in one sense, it's good because we made an impact in our five years as the alliance and people started to catch on to what it was. And that's why we stayed pretty close to the name when we did the merger. It just made sense. And, um, you know, so we've just rolled with it. And yeah, that's close enough. I think most people get it. Yeah, no, definitely. And and so talk a little bit um, about I want to before we, we go into NDA a little bit, a little bit of about like your kind of past growing up deer hunting in Pennsylvania and that deer hunting, you know, heritage that we have there. So how did, how did you grow up? Did you grow up deer hunting from very young age? How did that kind of work out? Yeah, I definitely am a person that grew up with uh, deer hunting. In my mind, I was deer hunting well before I was even allowed to deer hunt before I was 12. Um, having the luck of growing up in rural Western Pennsylvania, um, I had deer deer and deer hunting right in my backyard. It was a Christmas tree farm uh, right behind the house. 
I would often go out there and just sort of scout around and be around deer from as soon as I was allowed to go up by myself. Yeah, I started doing that. So, uh, yeah, I began officially hunting at the age of 12. Uh, always had a super strong passion for deer. I'm just fascinated by them. I still am to this day. Um, always trying to learn more. It's I tend to, to gravitate towards these things that you can't really master. And as we all know with deer hunting, and, and I'm also a hugely competitive yeah, I was an athlete, uh, and I also am, continue to be a coach. And so I have those competitive juices, and I always look at, for example, every deer I'm pursuing is a new opponent, a new opportunity. And they're just so smart, and to get out there with them on their playing field is awesome. And I've always been driven by that. That's what excites me about deer. And, um, yeah, I mean, archery hunting is my big, big passion. I, I do gun hunt, just not as much. Uh, yeah, so it's very similar, I guess, to you and your path and your passion and the way you do things is the way I like to do things. And so I think that's, that's why we hit it off. So, yeah, no, definitely. And, and so, um, how did, why did you decide to go down the path of like conservation and policy and everything at the beginning? Like what, what drove you to kind of go down that path? That's a great question. Uh, And I don't get asked that too often. And so it's, it's kind of funny story though. I remember all the way back in high school, um, I was an incredibly average student. I mean, incredibly average somewhere. <laughs> in the, we, we had like 150 uh, kids in my graduating class, and I was somewhere in the middle of that. Uh, but I was a, I, not, you know, I was just an underachiever. I would, the formal education process didn't excite me. I was always looking at looking out the window, figuring how could I get out and go hunting and fishing. But I remember in our guidance office. It wasn't like it is now where you search the internet and look for careers and that type of thing. I just knew I needed to go to school or else I was going to be in a career I probably didn't like. And so it was a necessary evil for me. I went down though into the guidance office and they had this little program that you could answer all these questions. And at the end, it would spit out what you should be. And doggone it, every time I did it, mine kept spitting out that I needed to be a farmer. And then I started to think that the program was rigged because you know most of the kids in my school district were farmers. That's where I grew up. I'm like they just want me to stay here and be a farmer. <laughs> and so uh, you know, ironically, now as a, as a property owner and someone doing food plots and so on, I guess I do do a little bit of farming. But uh, I just I knew I wanted to do something outdoors and in conservation. I had this deep passion for hunting and fishing, and I knew that I wanted to do something to give back to that. And so I stuck to that. I didn't veer away and chase other things that may have paid more money at the time. And in the long run, it's, it's paid off. And I've been, it's been a very rewarding conservation career and it's fun now having this many years into it. Even the other day, for example, we released a, a nuisance bear. I was working with the Pennsylvania game commission. We released a, a nuisance bear on a piece of land that we did conservation work on. And I thought that was really cool. So I'm old enough now to have some of that legacy to look back and see some of that work and say, yeah, I was, I was part of that. So that's been pretty neat. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And so what did you end up going to college for? Yeah. So I have a unique couple degrees. My bachelor's degree is in environmental geography. I started out in biology, but then I forgot the part where I wasn't really any good at math. So, (laughs) you know, I maybe should have looked at that in the first place. Maybe I should have paid a little more attention in high school, but anyway, environmental geography was my bachelor's degree degree. And my master's degree is a little unique. It's actually in psychology. And so people would say, well, why in the world, how did you end up in psychology? Well, it was a couple of things. I mean, one, 
I mentioned my sports background. I was always fascinated by the mentality of athletes and what made them click and what made the great ones great kind of a thing. But the other thing I thought of was every single thing we do involves people. And you asked about policy. Now, and I've never, I've never gotten excited about policy. Thank God we have Torn Miller on our team now that handles all this for us. Yeah. Uh, but I understand it, and I always like trying to get into into someone's mind and figure out why it is they have a position that they have, uh, and and try to frankly exploit that in some cases if I have to. You know how you answer a question matters. That type of thing. What makes a person click? And every single thing that we do, psychology is a part of it. Even when we're managing deer, even if you're asking permission to hunt deer on someone's property, there's a psychological aspect to it. And so that's why I chose that as a master. So that's that's my educational background. Ah, oh, that's 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 really interesting. It's funny when I when I first went to college, my original plan was to do environmental sciences with the geology tract. I was always you know excited about that side of it, and and then eventually kind of switched to go and and I yeah I I wasn't uh, great in all the different some of the different labs and the math and stuff that had associated with it. I had all like in high school, I had all, every advanced calculus, all those things they had to do. I just hated it. And I was like, I don't know about this. And I ended up getting a, a safety degree. And then when, and then once I got into, uh, working in manufacturing, I learned that environmental kind of came, you know, hand in hand with that. So I, I went to just like some separate courses, um, to the state of Pennsylvania to learn air quality and, uh, water quality and waste and, and got into that. And, and now I don't, I'm not doing that anymore, but it, it, I, I learned that, uh, I liked the environmental side besides the fact that everything had to do with math again and figuring out the air emissions and all those other portions. And that part did not, not excite me. I I looked at the environmental side when I went to it is because I liked being outside and that was kind of just how it clicked in my head was I wanted to do that route. But, um, you know, going back to like you talking about the psychology side, I think that's so important and, and, and I've been trying to learn more on that side and reading books and trying to understand like people and talking to people. Uh, one, the, you know, this, what I'm doing with the podcast here, but like even with, you know, having discussions on things when you don't necessarily agree with people or trying to understand other people's perspectives and where they come from. And I think that's a, that's a very challenging thing. And I, I can see how that would be really beneficial to have that, that background in, in your line of work. Uh, you know, it's, and I've really been trying to get up to speed more on, you know, understanding policy and being involved in just trying to do my part, I guess, uh, in, in that front from, from the, the conservation side with, with deer and with any other type of species and hunting in general. And as things become, you know, even more so, um, under attack, uh, with hunters and just everything else, just trying to understand that portion. And it's, it's difficult for me personally to, to grasp all of it and, and try to try to understand some of these, these things. So I've, I, I definitely think that, you know, your path that you've come, you know, to this point even is, is, uh, something admirable to, to, uh, I guess, see from the outside. You said a lot of really good things there. I, I want to go back to something, though, in your initial question, because I get it a lot from just you know talking to people. How do I get into doing that? You know, someone that's into hunting and whatnot. And, you know, I would say one one thing you have to do, and you've done this even in your career, hearing your story there, 
is sometimes too, you don't force things, right? You have a passion and you stay close to that, but you also need to organically kind of let things happen. You got to read the tea leaves. You got to just you know, see what's happening out there and react and take advantage of opportunities. And when I think about you and how you get yourself within a bow's, you know, within the bow range of a really mature buck in these habitats that you're hunting in, this these mountain bucks, that is really hard. Okay, I I know I I live here. I get it. I understand it. Some of your listeners will never understand it. But you get there because you don't force things. You get there because you read what's in front of you and you react. And I would say that's very much the same way for anyone that wants to do this type of thing for a career. Because there is no, there's no degree for CEO of a conservation organization. You know, you just have to sort of, you know, and there's not a degree for what you do necessarily. No. Um, and so you read the tea leaves, you read the sign, you don't force it, and you let it lead you to good places. And so I would just offer that bit of advice. No, I think that's I think that's really good advice uh, for anybody because yeah, there's no you're not going to go to your guidance counselor in high school and and be able to figure out a direct path to these these sort of things you know and and I think it's just like the little stepping stones as you go and and putting yourself in the right places and being willing to work on things that might not be necessarily right down the path but have like this kind of fringe type uh mentality with it and eventually you know moving your way into it and if you're driven by it and you keep working at it over time you'll you'll get there yep absolutely yeah so let's let's dive let's switch a little bit here to nda and kind of the the mission behind nda it's been something that you know as i look at the you know a lot of the different conservation organizations out there the ones that i'm a part of um, you know, since the beginning, that's been one of the things that I've wanted to do is, was find a way that, that, you know, I can give back to those things. One is being able to talk to, to people like yourself on the podcast and give exposure to it, but also on the financial side, like NDA has been one of the, it was QDMA and now NDA that, that I've been donating the 3% of the apparel sales that I get, um, on a specific quarter to those, you know, organizations, which, uh, you know, at you know, at this point hasn't, it's not like it's a substantial amount of money or anything, but it's a small way to be able to, to give back. But I've chosen NDA because I, I believe in their mission and everything that you're doing. So I'd like for you to be able to talk a little bit about, uh, NDA and what, what the reasoning is behind it. Sure. And, and, and yeah, I mean, $1 is a substantial contribution to me as I see it. And so it's not about the dollar amount as much as it is. It's the gesture. You know, you think enough of us to to do that. That's huge. That's that's more important than money, right? I mean, we need money, but we also need the passion and the, and the drive to get it done. So thank you for that. Um, yeah, our mission is very simple. And when we went through strategic planning, we did the merger. Uh, you see some groups, they have these big, long mission statements, and they try to get it all in there. And I'm glad we did the opposite. We're very, uh, it's just a very direct mission, and that is ensure the future of wild deer, wildlife habitat, and hunting period. Yeah. And there's obviously a lot of things involved in that, but, um, you know, I think one of the first things I'd say about us is that, um, I try to stay, take a step back and look at who we are and I'm really proud of who we are. I think we're a darn good organization personally. Uh, I'm a life member and was well before I ever was sitting in the seat I'm sitting in now. And I just think that if you are a deer hunter and you're interested in deer and you care about the sport, I mean, goodness, for 30, 35 bucks, you can be a member of an organization that does an awful lot for deer. And so 
you know, that, my sales pitch is that simple. Like it's a, it's a small, it's a small amount to, to do a big thing for deer and hunting. And that's the entire reason we exist. Yeah, no. And I, I think that's cool. I, I've got to know and meet like some other people within the, the organization, you know, through, you know, through yourself and, and Torin, you mentioned him earlier, him and I email back and forth all the time. Cause he hunts some similar countries as, uh, as, as I do during deer season. And we're always emailing back and forth talking about it. And, and I've actually hunted some specific areas that he does. Uh, so we've went, uh, you know, back and forth talking about it. And it just seems like everybody within the organization is super passionate about it. Again, very simple with, uh, the mission statement on that. And, and as everyone is, is super busy and has all these things, you know, going on, it's hard to be fully involved in every issue that's popping up. So this is where, you know, something simple as buying a $35 membership uh, a year can let, you know, people like yourself and your team to be able to, you know, kind of handle some of those things and be able to do the research and put out the information uh, to be able to, you know, understand that, I guess. Well, you mentioned policy earlier, and you brought up Torn. By the way, don't let him know what kind of truck you drive, because you know he might start showing up in your spot. I, I keep, yeah, I know. That's <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no. So it's it's you know policy is an example of that. Torin is our policy guy. Uh, quick, quickly becoming one of the one of the top policy guys in the country in the conservation world, which we're all really proud of him, and it's exciting to watch him do that. You know, with his work, he makes it so easy that all you have to do is go and, and a couple of clicks of the mouse and you're sending a letter to your legislator on an important issue. That I mean, that stuff that we do, that doesn't happen for free, right? You know, we have to pay Torn yeah. <laughs> uh, to do that and people to, to, to get it up there on the website and whatnot. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it's we're, we're not the organization. I think we still have to overcome this over time. We are not the organization that the earliest versions of QDMA was where people really felt like they had to own property and had to do hardcore management. We are way, way more diverse than that now. And if you just spend five minutes on our website and see the things we're focused on, we're focused on things like, well, we still do that stuff. Don't get me wrong. We are still the best resource for that type of information, but we have, we're the best resource to give you the latest deer science and help you interpret it. We are the best resource, I feel, for bringing new hunters into the mix. So we do a lot of hunter recruitment through our Field to Fork program. Just had some tremendous success with that. Um, just general information about deer is important. Even if you don't hunt deer, we do an awful lot of communication about why deer are so important and the amount of money that they generate. If you're someone that watches birds in Ithaca, New York... You should still care about deer because a lot of money that goes to your state wildlife agency is derived from the sale of deer hunting licenses and people that buy gear to hunt deer. Uh, we may get into this later, but we're, we talk about our deer report. We know that almost 80% of all people who buy a hunting license are going to hunt deer. That's pretty freaking awesome. And to have an organization like us that is focused on deer uh, is, an, is kind of a cool thing. So if, if you're hearing this for the first time, just should give us check it out check us out and see what we're all about yeah no and, and i i think that's i think that's uh something that you know even and for myself when i used to always think of qdma like i always had a membership but i always just kind of thought it was just focused around you know private land management and you know and a lot of it is and i think there's a lot of very good you know information on that side but at the at the same time yeah 
NDA is way bigger than just that. And I'm not saying just that is, is that's, you know, saying that's not important. It is, but like, there's so much more to it. And, and that the, the deer report that we'll jump into here in a little bit, like I love going through that. Like I've been, uh, I've been doing research for uh, a company Spartan forge that anybody listens to the podcast knows about, and they have deer data research. And I, I utilize the reports that you guys are doing and other state, uh, organizations to, to look through that stuff. And it's very interesting to, to see all that data and be able to understand the importance behind, you know, some, of some of that data that's there as far as for the, the entire deer, you know, wild deer population and, and the, the health of the herd and, and everything else from that standpoint. And as I've, you know, continued to, to learn more about, you know, habitat and everything. This doesn't just apply to private lands as far as understanding that, you know, I've become really good friends with a, a forester that helps manage, you know, public lands and, and also private lands and from the timber aspect of it and, and understanding that there's so many things that when you create habitat and everything for deer, you're helping everything else in in the same, in the same respect. It's not just, uh, Oh, I want to be a a more successful deer hunter. There's yeah, that, that could be, might be your goal, but, uh, in, in the whole grand scheme of things, you're, you're helping in a lot of other aspects as well. Have you ever wanted to have Levi Morgan, Andy May, Johnny Stewart, and others available at all times? Well, you can with CyberScout from Spartan Forge. CyberScout is like the chat GPT for outdoors men and women. You can ask it any questions related to bow building, scouting, hunting, survival, and a whole lot more. I think you'll be impressed with how it responds. CyberScout is currently out now for a select group of early beta testers and will be available to the rest of you really soon. The entire app is a complete tool for planning your hunt with incredible aerial imagery mapping, journaling, deer prediction, and some of the most accurate and detailed weather data. Use the code EASTMEETSWEST to save 20%, and if you're still on the fence, give the 14-day free trial a chance at SpartanForge.ai. CVA has been America's number one selling muzzleloader brand for over a decade. Hunting with a muzzleloader opens up a ton of hunting opportunities across the U.S., and I've been using the Acura series. But they don't only make badass muzzleloaders. Their line of centerfire rifles are great quality and not terrible on the wallet. The Cascade short barrel is ideal for tight quarters, deer drives, and quick shots in the big woods. You can check out their line of muzzleloaders, rifles, and accessories for every season and every range at bpioutdoors.com slash CVA. If you use the code EASTMEETSWEST10, you'll get 10% off of all CVA products, which includes rifles, muzzleloaders, and accessories. Yeah, absolutely. We take a lot of pride in that deer report, and I'm glad that you're checking it out. Oh, yeah, definitely. But right before I, I, I want to dive into that, there's a couple of like key points that I know that that you focus on. And, and, you know, one of them is the education aspect and the outreach, you know, aspect and, and being able to put out that reliable information for hunters and, and trying to engage them in, you know, wildlife, you know, stewardship and just like, and, and being involved in it. So talk a little bit about like the education standpoint and some of the, the resources that you have there. Yeah. So one of the cool things I was mentioning this to our team the other day, it's funny when I go to look for something that I need to learn about deer, I go to our website 
Or if I do a Google search for it, oftentimes it's our website that comes up among, the, if not the top, among the top. And so it's funny, we're, we're kind of fans of each other here for different reasons, right? And so uh, it's, it just kind of works out really well. But um, yeah, education is critically important to us. It's a big part of our mission. We want people to be aware of, of a lot of cool things about deer, right? Um, you know, someone may be hunting their entire life and not really truly understand something as simple as why fawns are born when they're born and why they have spots or why they have so many spots, right? Um, that's cool information. Sometimes it's more heavy, like chronic wasting disease. And man, nobody wants to talk about that. And I know that if we sat here and talked about CWD here, your show, your show numbers are going to drop <laughs> because it's bad news, right? That's, yeah. that's part of the psychology of it. Nobody wants to talk about COVID either, right? We're yeah. tired of talking about that. And so, but the reality is someone has to be responsible to compile the science that's out there and help interpret it. And so on that example alone, CWD, we've done a ton of stuff where we'll take the hardcore science and we'll put it in the form of a short video where someone can get the simple answer to what CWD is and why it matters, why they should care about it. Um, other research, uh, deer movement. This is a, a really critical thing for hunters, right? Like you want to know, we had a, a talk about Brian Grossman's podcast earlier. He had a guest on talking about sedentary deer versus deer that move more and how deer have these different personalities, right? And, and those of us that are hunted, especially the way you hunt, Bo, you've hunted bucks with different personalities, right? And so that yeah. requires different approaches. So some of it's more fun. Now we're not the ones doing the research, although we do participate in research. We talk about the psychology. I've been part of a couple recent papers where we've done some research why hunters perceive things or how they perceive things a certain way. That's always fun. So we do we do involve ourselves with it, but we do a lot of interpretation of stuff that would come out from like Mississippi State Deer Lab or University of Georgia Deer Lab or you know Penn State. Uh, some of these schools more, you know, known for that type of thing. And we, we work with those folks. We know those people, Dr. Craig, Craig Harper out of Tennessee. Uh, yeah, a lot of people I think, think that he works for us. <laughs> no, he's actually uh, a professor at Tennessee. And so we're using his stuff all the time. So uh, the education is important. People are into it. And like I said, it's all the way from the basics of, uh, you know, just basic deer 101, all the way up to the more heavy stuff to, you know, telling cool stories about a deer that did a three-state excursion and it you know, ended up 200 miles from home, that type of thing. So that kind of stuff. Yeah, no, I I, I love, you know, to taking in that information that you guys put out there on that. And I saw recently, I haven't got to listen to it yet, but uh, had uh, Dwayne Diefenbach from uh, Pennsylvania uh, from PSU there you know, on the, on the podcast yep. to talk and, and I've had him on a couple of years ago. Cause I've like, I've always just subscribed to his reports and talking about color deer data and like looking at all of that. And I think it's incredible, uh, information and, and being able to, to learn and understand that a little bit is, is, is pretty cool. And especially for people that are, you know, I say, especially people that are new hunters, but even like someone like ourselves that have hunted our whole lives, like you get so much information out of that and understanding. Um, but because it's like, there is deer that I just, 
they blow my mind. Oh, just about every deer blows my mind, but like of what they do and why, you know, some of them are, you know, roamers and spending more time, you know, in the rut covering miles. And I'll have them on, you know, three different cameras, two and a half miles apart in one day during the rut. And then there's other ones that just kind of stay home and like, you know, they have uh, doe groups in their particular area that they, they mess around with and, and they don't really have a reason to, to go out and, and be more aggressive and cover ground. So it's, it's, it's cool to get to, to, to kind of look at that and be able to understand it. Yeah. I mean, it's not even always just direct deer stuff either. I mean, so for example, uh, we were just emailing about this this morning, uh, Lindsay Thomas, our community, our uh, chief communications officer, he did a little video on feral hogs and a, a unique trap called the, the pig brig that's worked really well for them in the South. Now, luckily this isn't a problem for us in Pennsylvania, but uh, we were just seeing they had, there's 108,000 views on that here just recently. And so, and, and it's like thousands per day. It's not just deer hunters getting that information. It's other people getting that information. So the education also can be pretty broad and uh, we do, I think a pretty good job of getting the word out. Yeah, no. And, and, and I think too, like in bridging that, you know, bridging that gap and, and being able to, uh, uh, how do I want to put this, be able to appeal to, to both, uh, you know, the hardcore deer hunters, as well as just the average people and understanding, you know, what, what you're doing for, you know, just deer in general and wildlife in general. I think that is, uh, that's, that's an important thing. And I think that's something that, that, that you guys do well. And, and another, another aspect too, you know, outside of the educational, uh, portion, which it kind of goes hand in hand, but is the whole, you know, R three side of it, you know, with, uh, recruitment retention and, and reactivation and explain a little bit about that program and what the importance of that is, uh, for you guys in NDA. Yeah. And so the field to fork program is, is what you're asking about. Yes. And it's a program that, we are very fond of, we're very proud of it. Uh, we just had a board meeting in Springfield, Missouri. And when we brought that topic up as a strategic discussion, you can just see the energy in the room come up because we've had a ton of success. Actually, we've had so much success that our challenge is how do we capitalize on that and have more success without making our entire organization about about field to fork, right? So it's it's actually, because it's successful, it also creates its own set of challenges. And so... Yeah, I mean, very simply put, that program is focused on getting new hunters into the woods, but it's not a youth program. And so for a long time, and I'm not saying that there isn't value in youth programs, there certainly is, but for a long time, when we said, let's get new hunters into the woods, what we started doing was a whole bunch of youth programs, but the kids that would show up were kids that were already in hunting families, and we're giving them a bunch of gear and saying, hey, we want you to be a hunter, and they were going to already be a hunter anyway. And so our program focuses a little bit more, on, well, totally on adults and people who have the ability to buy their own gear and take themselves to a hunting spot. And it started with a farmer's market in Georgia where we offered some venison to people and they were into that. And then we just asked the next question, well, would you ever be interested in getting your own? And man, so many people said, well, yeah, you know, that's something I've always wanted to try to do. And I can't tell you how many times in my life I run into people that know that I'm a deer hunter and they say, you know, I've always wanted to try that, never had a chance. Or maybe yeah, I have a, a someone come in and do some work on the house and they see my taxidermy and they say, well, that's really cool. That's something I've always wanted to try to do. Well, there are millions and millions of people out there who say that and they just simply need someone to 
give them a chance and show them how. And so we have events all across the country. We had had events. Uh, Hank's going to kill me. I don't give you the right number. I want to say 40, uh, 41 events or something along those lines last year um, where we are out there showing people how easy it is to hunt deer all the way through teaching them firearms and, and crossbow safety all the way up through how to field dress an animal, how to prepare it for a meal. And we're showing that the majority of those people that go through that program, then they go and they hunt themselves. And so I would encourage people, if you just go to our website, just go to deerassociation.com and and type in field to fork, you're going to see some of those successes. We did a really great video from the event we did in Missouri last year that really uh, depicts uh, what we do with that well. Uh, it literally, as we're talking here, I got an email from my board chairman. It just come in and the subject line is field to fork. So uh, <laughs> I'm really glad that you asked about that program. We can't yeah. do the, all of those, by the way. If you're at a local sportsman's club and you want to do a field to fork, we will help you figure out how to do that. So it's not that we do them all. We just want to sort of pass it on and have other people doing them. So yeah, it's been a great program for us. Yeah. And so you talked about it a little bit, but what explain a little bit the importance of that and and getting those you know people in you know, specifically adults, but getting them you know into hunting. What 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 do you see like is the the big like you know importance of being able to do that? I think number one, we it's no secret that hunter numbers in general have declined. It's stabilized here recently within a few percentage points, which is good. But we also talked earlier in this podcast about the importance of deer hunting, the fact that eight out of 10 people that buy a hunting license hunt deer. And if we have less deer hunters, that's less money for conservation in general. And I know that's a lot for people to wrap their heads around, but the reality is you know, a lot of the people buying uh, buying guns are buying them to hunt deer, right? And so there's a portion of that money that goes through the Pittman-Robertson federal excise tax that comes back to state wildlife agencies to manage wildlife. The purchasing of a hunting license. If we know that eight out of 10 people that buy a hunting license are going to hunt deer, that's all those people that all that money that's going toward broad wildlife conservation. So we need deer hunters to, to number one, pass on the legacy of deer hunting. It's not about, some people get confused and they get selfish about it and they say, oh, they're going to be overrun with hunters and it's going to take my hunting spot. And that's an incredibly short-sighted way of looking at it. There's plenty of room for people. We need deer hunters. Conservation needs deer hunters. And every time you lose one, that's a certain percentage that comes off the top for broad wildlife conservation. So deer hunting matters to everybody, and we feel it's our responsibility to do our small part, our own small part, to get people out into deer woods. Yeah, and and I think and I think even more recently, I've been hearing a lot about that, and people saying, "Oh, you know, we have enough hunter numbers. I'm seeing, you know, so many people out my hunting spots, and all these things." And and I, I feel like even in the past, like when I was younger, didn't fully understand it. I was like the same way, like, "Oh, wouldn't it be better to not have as many deer hunters because my spots will be, <laughs> you know, a lot better?" But it that is a very nearsighted kind of selfish approach to it, and. And what, what, I guess, what, I guess you kind of already answered that, but I was going to say how you would, you know, say to people that are like, oh, well, I'm seeing more, you know, people in my hunting spots. And I know it's like 
definitely a thing that's, you know, going on, you know, out West with people, you know, getting involved in it, but the numbers show, like, I mean, you look at that deer report and you look at the the drop and, and I, I don't have the exact numbers in, in front of me here, but there was like some of the States, it was like a 40% decrease in hunters. I wanted to say it was like, uh, um, Massachusetts or Rhode Island or some of those states there that there was a, a pretty drastic decrease in, in hunters over the last few years. And, and even in, okay. Yeah. Right. Uh, Connecticut had a 46% in the last four years drop Tennessee, Rhode Island, Georgia, Nebraska, were all in that kind of, in that, that list there. And, uh, and, and I guess I, I, I don't, I don't totally understand, you know, when you see like in areas that, you know, that you're like, Oh, there's, you know, there was 12 trucks at this, you know, trailhead or whatever on this piece of public land. Why that's, why that's the, the, the case. Uh, I, I, I'm not exactly sure. Do you have an answer for that? I don't, I think one of the, a couple of things with that, I mean, there's a lot to unpack there. I would say one thing, some of the data in the deer report, just so everyone understands, we are, limited by what we get from state wildlife agencies and how they collect the data. So some of those numbers may be skewed. And we're in our report, we're talking about deer numbers too. And so some states, depending on how they ask it, you know, is it strictly just based on license sales, that type of thing. So I would hold some of those with a grain of salt. Um, some of them, it's because there are so few deer hunters in the first place. So you mentioned Rhode Island, they're, it's tiny, but there's yeah. still 5,000 deer hunters in that state. So, you know, the numbers are the numbers that we're, we're, you know, putting back out that we get from the States. And we do try to verify as much as we can Uh, in terms of, especially out West or public lands where people feel like they're seeing a lot more people. um, Part of that is because number one, we have such good resources. There's been a huge push for, Hey, there's public land out there and there there are easy ways to find it. Things you know, there are different apps out there that show you how to find public land, makes it easier. Um, there are pushes by organizations about public land and their availability. So I think that's part of it. People are understanding how to put in and draw for tags now. But I also think that it gets overblown a little bit. I'll just, I'll use our, our own example just here in Pennsylvania. I own a piece of property that is adjoining to about 3,000 acres of state game land. And I can tell you that on the opening day of gun season, yes, you're going to have you know a dozen trucks at the various pull-off spots. But then I'm going to tell you that by the middle of that week, it's down to one or two. And by the end of the week, it's almost zero. During archery season, it's the same way. I, I encounter very few people throughout the year on those lands. Uh, as you, if you look at the whole big picture of things, that can also tell you that of the 3,000 acres – that I can I can draw a line around the probably 300 acres that's actually getting utilized on that 3,000 acres. And so, um, you know, you see a vehicle and someone might be spending some time there. That does not necessarily mean an area is getting overhunted or anything like that. And so it's, you know, there's plenty, I guess is what I would tell people. And if you do have an area, and I'm not going to say it doesn't exist, where maybe you've been hunting a spot and now all of a sudden you have a bunch of company – well, there's your opportunity then to go find the next spot that doesn't have that. And so, um, you know, I think, I think that it does happen. I think people are more aware. Uh, and I think people in the West aren't used to seeing that necessarily, but there's still plenty. Yeah. And, and, and I, I, I 
talked about this on a few podcasts here recently, specifically around the Western hunting aspect, but it's like, all right, the people that are still, that have been successful for years are still being successful because they're just adapting to it. And that's just, you know, we look at things and be like, oh, the pressure's so bad, you know, at this, at this spot, but that's happened for years. It's just, it kind of fluctuates between areas. Yeah. Maybe something gets pressed and it makes it, you know, more, you know, more people go into that area, but yeah, you just, that means there's less people somewhere else. So like, uh, that's how I've always looked at it with Pennsylvania. And, and besides, you know, gun season and stuff, you know, Pennsylvania, what they have the, is it, I might be incorrect on this, but the most deer hunters in the country or the, the most, the highest percentage of like per square mile, maybe that's what it is. Um, yeah. And, and so like, you know, I'm, yeah, the highest deer number is second to Texas as I'm looking at the report here. But, and, you know, in Texas is a giant state. So Pennsylvania is a little bit more crowded from that. But I never have a whole lot of issues with that. Yeah, there'll be areas that get more pressure than others. And it's just like, yeah, you just kind of uh, got to use that. You can use that to your advantage. And that's one of my, one of my uh, good friends and respected deer hunters, Johnny Stewart. He always says that he's like, quit, quit worrying about the, you know, the people just use the people to your advantage. And, and that's, yeah, that's how, how you can look at it. And I think a lot of that does come down to perspective. Well, I'm shooting a new bow this year and I am pumped after playing around with the buddies Hoy RX eight. The smile on my face made the decision for me. The first thing I noticed with the new Hoyts were their extremely smooth draw cycles and the ability to adjust the back wall to make it rock solid like I prefer. I outfitted my own RX-8 with the inline accessories that made installation extremely easy and balanced out the bow. My favorite accessory so far is a simple one. It's the Go Sticks 2.0 adjustable legs to make your bow like a tripod, but it doesn't interfere with any part of the bow or the limbs or anything like that in addition the integrated kickstand within the hbx exact cams protect your string from excess wear when you put your cam into the dirt ground hunting or spot and stock just got easier if you want to experience what i'm talking about head to your nearest hoyt dealer and take a test drive yourself you can learn more at hoyt.com the mobile hunters expo is a consumer-based hunting show unlike any other It provides an interactive learning experience where you can try all things mobile hunting and learn from the best in the business. Come experience an unbiased, community-based environment where you can improve your hunting skills and find the right equipment for your needs. I'll be speaking at the Nor'easter Show in Mannheim, Pennsylvania at Spooky Nook Sports from August 9th to 11th, 2024. So come check it out or either of the other shows in uh, Michigan and Georgia. You can purchase tickets online at the mobilehuntersexpo.com or grab tickets at the door. I'll see you there. Yeah. I mean, the the number you were fishing for there, I think, was hunters per square mile. I think Michigan is like a tenth of a percentage point more than Pennsylvania in hunters per square mile. And in terms of total hunting numbers, yeah, you mentioned Texas. And Pennsylvania is the top two. Interestingly, Texas is a gigantic state, obviously. 770,000 and Pennsylvania has 663. I don't know how many Pennsylvanians you can fit in Texas, uh, but it's it's a few. 
And then uh, Wisconsin is, is is right after that, about six hundred twenty thousand. New York, New York, over a half million. Michigan, over a half million. So those are your top five states there. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's interesting. But I, I did want to go back to something that you said that, and I and I don't, I know this could be an entire podcast, but I, I do want to talk about the, um, I guess the challenges to deer hunting and, and deer population in general. And you talked about deer disease, you know, being right up towards the top of that. So giving a little bit of, um, kind of the state of the union on, on the deer diseases here in 2022. Yep. And so I, I will come back to diseases. I do want to say that I want to say something in terms of biggest threats to deer and hunting. I want to initially give you a different answer if that's okay. And then yeah. I'll jump back to CWD and, uh, maybe EHD, but I think, you know, diseases and habitat loss are easy answers to that. What are our threats? But I also think complacency in the awareness of deer and their value, even complacency by hunters to just always assume that deer are healthy and things are going to be the way they always are. Um, and so we can't be that way. We can't be complacent. We have to pay attention to policy as boring as it may be to a lot of people listening. We have to participate in that. Uh, we have to know more about deer and why they matter. We have to understand the big picture of conservation. We need to tell people about it. So I do worry about complacency in this false sense of, well, there are always deer to hunt, so I'm going to not worry about deer. Um, but then back to your, the disease issue, yeah, it's not good news about chronic wasting disease. It's not. I mean, we're adding new states on the regular. We've added uh, two or three new ones here just in recent months. And so it's not unrealistic to think that it's just going to be everywhere at some point. And then it comes down to, are we willing to manage it? My my personal property is in a CWD management zone. And because of that, I have to take certain steps that might cause me a little bit more work in order to not take that disease out of the area. But it is what it is and you adapt to it. And so I think we just got to be willing to, let, let's not let's not go down the path of, and you hear this a lot, well, it's just a political disease or it's a this is something made up or let's, that's lazy thinking. Let's not go down that path. That's not going to help anybody. Uh, we feel that way. And this is the psychology part of it because it's bad news. Like nobody likes to believe bad news. Um, you know, and it's, it's just, it is bad news. I get it. I don't want to deal with it either, but we have to do our steps as hunters to try to manage it. It's also not the end of the world news either. Let's, let's put it out there that way. It's not the end of deer hunting, uh, but we certainly would like to, to try to keep it uh, contained the best we can until we can learn more about it and can come up with some better solutions. But it's not great news on the CWD front. The EHD front, uh, so it's very different. First of all, it is not 100% fatal to disease. People freak out about it because what happens is if they have a local kill, they see it, they smell it, and it looks like all the deer have died. And in some cases, a lot of them do, but they, as a herd, they will bounce back from it. CWD is 100% fatal. And you don't always, you don't see mass die offs with CWD, and so people get confused. Um, I will say, um, I will say that EHD though is so far this year has been quiet. Uh, I want to knock on wood right now because uh, I would like to keep it that way. That would be <laughs> ideal. Um, but it, this is the time of the year where we start potentially hearing uh, problems with EHD, getting into late summer where you have drought conditions. And so, you know, you want to pay attention and, and sort of monitor what's happening out there. But so far, as we get in here to early July, we haven't heard a ton and we'd like to keep it that way. So um, those are the two main ones. 
Um, yeah. You know, TB is another one, but that's, you know, it's not one that we talk about a ton, but um, really those are the two main ones. I think that deer hunters are most familiar with and, and want to hear about. Yeah. And what, what can we do uh, to help with that? Like what is that just kind of paying attention to what your local regulations are uh, surrounding that and making sure you follow that? I mean, I know like, um, you know, with Pennsylvania and, and, and not bringing back, you know, body parts of deer from other States in, you know, into Pennsylvania, uh, you know, based off of, of, you know, the thoughts on that. And then also, you know, areas with, uh, baiting as far as, you know, not baiting during hunting seasons, that's not allowed in Pennsylvania, but, you know, with, in some areas restricting, you know, baiting, uh, in the, and, the way I understand it is because you don't want to congregate the deer and have the chance of spreading disease that way. Um, so kind of give your thought on, on that as far as what we can do. That's, you know, simple for deer hunters. Like what can we do to, to be able to help that? Yeah. I mean, I think this goes back to the awareness thing, which is so important. Go to your state wildlife agency's website, you know, look, look up their information on chronic waste and disease. It'll show you where their management areas are, what their rules are. Um, you know, know, for example, that you can't live in uh, Pennsylvania and go to Ohio and shoot a deer and just drive the whole deer back. That's illegal. You can't do that. You can't do that in a lot of states. You can bring back the deer. You got to bring back certain parts and you got to take certain steps to deal with it. Um, but you can't just bring the whole deer back is, is, a, is one example. I would just point people so that we don't dominate your whole show with, with chronic wasting yeah. disease. I would tell people go to our website and look up CWD. We have what's called a CWD resource center there. It's full of uh, short little videos that literally videos that are less than a minute long that answer a lot of the basic questions about chronic wasting disease. And you're going to find a whole bunch of things that you can do to help do your part. Uh, for me personally, for example, I, where I live is not a CWD zone. Where I hunt is. And so when I bring my deer home, I have to make sure that it's quartered and then I'm not bringing things like the spine or the whole head back. If it's the type of deer that I would like to get taxidermied, what I have to do is fully cape the deer. I can bring the cape back and the antlers back as long as the skull plate's clean to a taxidermist anywhere. Or I could use a taxidermist in that area uh, to have it done that way. And so there are options for things you need to do there. So those are just a couple of examples. Again, it's not the end of the world. It's just some extra steps that you need to take. You mentioned baiting in some areas of the country. That's a big deal. And so, yes, I mean, CWD, it's funny. Uh, maybe funny is not the right way to say it, but uh, deer contract CWD from each other, much like we all pass COVID and other things to each other. And so social distancing of deer is important. And so obviously a big bait pile where deer are sticking their face in that and sharing saliva and all those things uh, does not help. Uh, so there's, that's just one example. Yeah, no, that, that, that's how I was kind of comparing it in, in my mind there, but I didn't want to say the word COVID out loud because then it would probably get, you know, <laughs> fact checked or something online. But, uh, so yeah, no, I, I, I did just, I wanted to bring that up cause I think, you know, obviously it is an important, uh, topic and just kind of get 
people thinking about it. And as you know, with my show and helping people plan out estate hunts and all these different things, like pay attention to that in your planning and your hunt planning, making sure you have that, you know, figured out if you're not able to, you know, boil the skull yourself out there or do something, you need to make sure you know where local taxidermist is and plan for that, you know, ahead of time rather than, you know, going out of state for a day onto a hunt and then, you know, just getting a deer and thinking you're just going to drive back with it because that's, you know, depending on where you're at, that's illegal and, and, and just making sure you're doing your part with that. So I did, I did want to bring that up a lot for that reason, but to dive a little bit more into like the, the deer report is some things that like, you know, jumped out at me, uh, as, as I think would be, you know, interesting for people to hear is you know, the, the number of bucks that are being harvested at that three and a half years or older range now has grown. And one, I want to ask you, the importance of that and what the, what the reasoning is behind it, because I think that can, that can be skewed a little bit sometimes. And then, you know, why, why you think you see that happening now? Yeah. I mean, I think part of it is just, it's, it's two things. It's education. Our organization has been around almost 40 years now. Um, when you combine the QDMA and NDA. And so we've led a lot of the education about the importance of balanced age classes uh, in in deer herds, especially if you're a hunter, it just, it makes for a more, uh, you know, sort of na- as nature intended balance of things out there, it makes your hunting better. It makes it more exciting. And, and the hunting part of it is also, um, hunters now is, as time has gone on and they've maybe some States have had an antler restriction or whatever, and sort of forced them to pass younger deer have caught on to the idea that it's a heck of a lot of fun to hunt mature deer. And if you are willing to be patient a little bit, you're going to see a lot of things and have the experience of a lot of things that is that is really uh, the type of deer hunting that you know maybe for most people before that they only saw on television. And so it's important for a lot of those reasons. The other reason, and a lot of people miss this point, I think, is that because people desire personally, even on their private property, better deer herds, healthier deer herds, and balanced deer herds. They are voluntarily spending boatloads of money, myself included, (laughs) embarrassing amounts of money on improving their land. And so they're doing conservation work that, as you brought up earlier, it benefits a whole lot of things. Like on my property, I have have a, a really nice grouse population, which... There aren't a lot of people that can raise their hand and say, oh, I got a lot of grouse right now. I mean, it, they're hurting in a lot of places. So I have that. I've got a lot of woodcock passing through. I've got bears. I've got bobcats. I've got coyotes. Now people are like, well, why would you want those things? I do want those things because I like having all of that wildlife on my place. And you know what's amazing? When you have good habitat, you can have all of those things and you can still have lots of deer. And so um, people voluntarily, because they want a better age class of deer, are harvesting more does as they should be. They're letting younger bucks get older. And so it's hard to find a bad, re- a negative reason um, to, or, you know, to find a negative to managing deer uh, based on realistic age class. Yeah, no, I, I think that's, you know, that whole overall, like, you know, management strategy is has been i mean we've seen it here in pennsylvania like it's it's been awesome and I, and I think that you know especially in like you know in some of these big woods areas like where where i'm at and where i do a lot of hunting and stuff is like the the amount of deer the total deer numbers have been you know drastically decreased from what they used to be 25 years ago and and that was always kind of taken as a negative connotation but 
there's you know a lot of benefits that I've seen from it. One is the 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 deer healthier, bigger bodies, just like it's they're able to get older but the the body size is is a huge thing and also yeah you do get the opportunity to be able to hunt bigger deer older deer and stuff that like the 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 deer that you know we're able to see now in pennsylvania and i'm just using this specifically with both of us you know living there is 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 drastically increasing and and getting better like you know i was have an opportunity to go hunt a different state in in october this year and i've been thrown up and around i'm like i I don't want to leave pennsylvania until (laughs) until i get a deer and it's like you know that that sounds like wacky to say that out loud but it's like we have some really good deer hunting and i think the management's been great i mean last night i was driving around with my cousin we were just driving on some forest roads just out looking for deer and stuff and and you know in one area that had been managed really well from the timber aspect and everything else it was like we saw deer we saw some does we saw some bucks there was bear there was a bear in the same little plot there that was in in the same clear cut that there was uh um some deer in and just turkey population everything else is just like full circle on that that whole management aspect of it and i i think I think that's really cool. And I think that's helping out a lot. And for the, the, the overall experience, even as a, as a deer hunter and having that opportunity, because even if you're like, oh, I don't really care what, you know, kind of, you know, buck that I shoot, you know, that's fine. But you're lying. If you say that, Oh, I, I don't want to see a big deer. I don't want, <laughs> I don't want to see oh, right, that. like right. that, that gets you, that gets you excited. And it's, it's pretty cool to, to be able to see that. And, and like the antler restrictions, I think has been such a, a beneficial aspect. And I, and I talk to people in other States that don't have them that, you know, wish that they, they would, it just kind of causes you to, to, to look a little bit more and it almost, you know, adds a, um, I, I I don't know. I just, I think that has helped out a a ton with the age structure and and the the health of the herd here in PA. Yeah. I mean, it's real quick on antler restrictions. We, we prefer people to, you know, to voluntarily do them because we see the numbers we see. I mean, heck we got some States over 80%, Oklahoma, 83%, Louisiana, 82% of all their deer that their bucks are three and a half years or older. Right. So, uh, sometimes I think people are just naturally kind of gravitating toward that. And that's easier than forcing someone to do something. But to your point in this state, because people were first forced to do it, they hated it for five minutes until they started shooting the best deer of their lives. And it was like, all of a sudden now you pull people, I think it's, you know, almost 70% of the people support them. Uh, but anyway, I think the other thing that's really cool and interesting is that I hear so many more people talking about the age of the deer even more so than the score of the rack. And that's pretty neat. It's almost like the grouse hunter, they measure their success by flushes, right? Like, oh, I had this many flushes. And it's it's even less about how many they actually hit because they're yeah. darn hard to hit when you shoot at them. <laughs> but even I'll, I'll use an example. So on my, on my property, and I'm sitting here and I'm watching trail camera pictures come in and all that, right? Yeah. And I've got, right now, I've got two really nice bucks that I know are at least four and a half years old. And they probably, by the time they're done growing, if they score 130, that would be, that would be surprising to me because of just where they happen to be in the state, okay? So I'm in a place where, uh, and by the way, I mean, if I see either of these deer, I'm that's the kind of deer I want. I want an older deer. I want that challenge because 
that same deer, he's still a four and a half year old deer and he's going to act like one. It don't matter what's on top of his head. And so sometimes if you live in Iowa, that four-year-old deer is probably going to be 160 to 180 inches. But that deer is no smarter just because he has that bigger rack than the one that I'm after on my place that might be 140, right? Every once in a while where I happen to live, I will have one walking around that looks similar to something that you shot recently, okay? Yeah. They're out, they're out there, but that's not the, that's not the rule. Okay. That's not the rules. So for me, my goals are I want an older age class deer and I want to shoot does. And I'm just as happy if he's four and a half and it scores 125 inches as I am one that I would shoot in Iowa that's three and a half years old and is 150 inches. Right. Um, And so I hear a lot more people talking about the age of the deer. We're going to be putting out a brand new age this video that's narrated by Kip Adams and almost. All of the video comes from Pennsylvania, ironically, of all these different age class deer. And I think that's going to be really popular. People are going to like that. And so, yeah, I mean, I think there's there's no, again, there's no downside to managing deer, to letting them get a little bit older. Um, it's, it's just really, I think, been a great thing for conservation, a great thing for the experience, for people to enjoy it. But at the same time, if you want to go out and, you, and you're happy shooting that four corn buck, that's freaking awesome too. I mean, just get out there and, and you do you. And we're seeing that the, the higher percentage of people are going after older deer, but it's fine if you're not too. I don't want anyone to hear this and say, well, that's how you have to do it. You know, just do you, get out there, participate. And that's a good thing. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm glad you brought that up. But there's there's so much importance to that. You're, you're helping in so many different aspects by just being out there as far as for, for deer hunting. And, you know, and maybe eventually get there. You know, I, there was a point where it, I didn't care about it and as far as, you know, age structure or anything. And then as you start, you know, getting more deer, it's like, okay, maybe I want to, you know, start, you know, whether it's a challenge or whatever else. Like, so I'm turning my computer for here for you to see a little bit there but that buck on the wall right there he's 125 inch nine point with like a 13 inch spread and he was aged i can't remember if he was eight and a half or nine and a half years old so like that's you know talking about how sometimes uh you know age doesn't necessarily mean they have these giant racks and uh and i did have photos of the year before and he was a little bit bigger but he was never you know he was never 150 160 inch deer you know at that at that point and it's just that's the way it was and i think that deer was from 2009 so that was a long time ago but um yeah there's yeah. It, they they get that way i have another one on the wall that was five and a half and he was 124 maybe 125 inch eight point you know and that's just what what he was and that's and i do like that you know people are talking about the age structure more so than the inches because it does depend on where you're at in the country and and what they have available to them yeah. And that's where getting to know your deer. That's why the, like the trail camera stuff, and we're so adamant about keeping trail cameras a part of hunting. And there's been some debate on that and won't get into that here. But because we have those tools now, we can better manage our herds and be aware of, we know what what deer are now because we've watched them grow up. And I can think back when I lived in Ohio and, you know, that's not a bad place to live to hunt deer, by the way. No. <laughs> um, I shot, I shot one buck that I know he was uh, five and a half years old. And his rack is awful. It's like he's got like all this mass coming up, but he's got these goofy points on the ends. And and man, I was so proud of that buck because he weighed uh, about two hundred and almost two hundred and eighty pounds. Uh, big giant neck on him. 
and he like I said, he had this mass, but he's not going to score for anything. I shot a couple out there like that, but and then whenever I I skinned that deer, I realized he had an injury in his neck. It looked like he might have been hit by a bullet at one time, and that probably was why his antlers never came along. There was another buck I was aware of out there that was eight years old. I watched that deer for five years, and every only ever laid eyes on him once. And by the time he was eight, he was a shadow of what he was when he was five or six. Does that any less of a deer than, I mean, my goodness, no. And I yeah. love that story of that buck that you, that you showed me. Unfortunately, the listeners can't see it. Yeah. Um, that's an awesome deer. I mean, that is incredible and a great accomplishment. And it doesn't matter, you know, what his score is to match wits and to get close to an animal like that. That's freaking awesome. Uh, 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 Kip Adams, who is, is probably the most popular guy we have on the NDA team. His son, Bo, shot a doe that was older than he was. Because <laughs> they sent the tooth away. I mean, that is so cool. I just love those stories, and you know, deer are just cool. And I'm I'm getting excited here. Oh, I know. It, so. it, it was funny uh, during last rifle season. Every for usually about a day every year, I go and I I um, I hang out with a, a friend of mine, Kip Folks, um, who has a, a big property here in Pennsylvania, and it, they've done uh, deer tagging on it and collared data and stuff in the past and everything. And they had shot a doe on there in rifle season. And I was there visiting and I saw it and they had the tag on it and it was 14 years old, um, was, wow. you know, from, and that, that, that doe was, she was looking pretty rough at that point, but, uh, it's just cool to see like, you know, some of those older deer and how they're, you know, growing up their whole lives thinking about like, you know, how how much our society has changed in that amount of time everything and they're just doing dear things you know <laughs> yep yeah it's just like i said it's just a cool i mean i i just maybe because i grew up with it i'll never get it but i just don't know how you can't be into deer one way or another because they're just they're really just cool animals and yeah. uh i still to this day people i think they think i'm kidding them but uh, when i'm giving a talk to a group or something and we get into this issue uh, number one, they're surprised at my still my level of passion for deer and hunting, uh, having been involved with it for so long. But also, two, um, I tell them that I still to this day, I don't pass by a deer driving down the road without stopping to look at it. And they're just they fascinate me to that level, and I hope that I never lose that. Yeah, no, I I, I can I can definitely relate to you there. I and the same thing, the you know, trail cameras, everything. Like I just love learning about deer, you know, I've, I've become fascinated with using trail cameras on video mode and just watching their mannerisms. And like, there was a buck that I was hunting last year that he ended up getting killed in rifle season, but he had been hurt, um, for the past two years and he just had this limp. And then I, you know, I noticed it on the trail camera videos and then I, uh, then I'd see it. I could tell where his track was because he like dragged his foot. And I knew it was that deer based off of, you know, watching that footage and being able to understand it. So it's just, it's fun getting to watch deer and learn about them and how they're, they're just, just amazing animals. That's for sure. Yep. No question. Yeah. Well, hopefully next time that uh, I get to have you on here, Nick, we can just, instead of me just grilling young questions about, you know, NDA and conservation and all this stuff, we could talk about some deer hunting stories too. But uh, I, I just, I think it was really important to kind of go through this and, and I, and I hope that people check out, you know, the deer report, check out the website, all those different resources um, for that. And I, I do have, you know, quite a few of like newer hunters that listen to the podcast. And I think that 
that there's a, a lot of importance to being able to have a website and a resource, um, an organization, you know, like NDA is to be able to go through and understand, you know, the whole background on it, um, from the, the, you know, the deer conservation side. And, and then also just looking at the numbers, there's so much, so much good stuff that you can learn from those, those numbers. And even if you're planning, you know, that, that deer report is something that, that I use as far as like even planning hunts, you know, out of state and I want to go somewhere different. You can kind of understand things by looking at, all right, you know, this is where, you know, most of the harvests are taken with a bow or crossbow versus rifle versus, you know, muzzleloader and like all those different things can, can play into it and, and be a, be a really cool resource. So I, I appreciate you, you coming on and talking to me about that. No, absolutely. It's my pleasure And any time. And I'll tell people that we've been doing this deer report since 2009 and from our website, you can download all of those. And so this is free to anybody. You just go to our website, download it, and you can have it right at your fingertips. So I'd encourage people to do that. Yeah, definitely. Uh, is there anything else that you'd like to to share with the audience here or and Deer Association? You know, uh, is it dot com or dot org? I should know that. Uh, DeerAssociation.com dot com, or you yeah. can just Google it if you don't use URLs anymore. I'm I don't I'm lazy. I don't use them typically. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, true. yeah, dear, and we got we have some cool social media sites too. You can easily find just search them and you know check it out and give us a look. And no, other than that, just I really I appreciate uh, what you do, Bo, and uh, you know your your hunting is part of it. I enjoy watching that and following you. And uh, if I was a little younger, I might try to follow in your footsteps a little bit more, uh, covering the ground and the hills that you cover. Um, and so I appreciate that. And uh, yeah, you, you do a good thing bringing this stuff to light. So thank you for the opportunity. Oh, thank you so much for, for coming on, Nick. I, I really enjoyed it. And definitely everyone go check out both of the podcasts that uh, NDA has there too and and check those out and listen. So there's some good, yeah, you and Mike are good on the, on the, the deer or the coffee and deer podcast there and, and looking forward to checking out Grossman's podcast there as well. Yeah. Thank you. Awesome. Well, again, thank you for coming on Nick and uh, we will talk to you soon. All right. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of East meets West hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit East meets West hunt.com Facebook at East meets West outdoors and Instagram at East meets West hunt. If you enjoyed today's episode, please review and subscribe and we'll catch you next time.